Well, hey, my name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here, and as Matt said, we are starting a new series today called Flip the Script, and hopefully you got a journal. If not, you can slip back and grab one. They're also available online, and uh, Flip the Script, it's about the surprising nature and message of God's kingdom. Jesus has this way of getting into the midst of things and then, like, turning it on its head. And I've experienced that in my own life. You know, Jesus has, has kind of flipped the script in my life. And, and we're praying over, uh, over all these people that we hope, you know, get Jesus flips the script in their life as well. And uh, we come to, um, to the parables of Jesus. Because I think that the parables, more than almost any other way that Jesus communicates, kind of flip the script. It's like a surprising joke ending, right? Why did the chicken cross the road? And Why? to get to the other side, you know? And it's like, oh, that was surprising. I wasn't expecting that. Or then you throw out a joke, and it's like, why did chicken cross the road? And then you say, because that's my one ingredient that I want for um, endless supply of, whatever it might be. So um, anyway, that's what parables. Parables are these allegorical stories that are, are ways Jesus could almost mask the message of the kingdom to both confront the religious leaders of the day, while also comforting those who were patiently awaiting the arrival of God's kingdom. So they come and they kind of confront us in some ways, and then there's this another layer of meaning that kind of comforts us. And as, as followers of Jesus, as we come back to the parables again and again and again, I think it just helps us to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. Every time I come to the parables, it's like there's a new kind of twist something else that stands out to me. And I hope the same is true uh, for you. But um, we live in a world of individual kingdoms. We build and construct individual kingdoms. And so the parables, with the arrival of God's kingdom, they confront us in those individual kingdoms that we've created in our lives. And we're supposed to take the parables and set them alongside our individual kingdoms and look at and comparing it to God's kingdom, which is actually what the word means, parabole. It's Greek. And, um, oh, go back a slide. We're not there yet. Parabole, to set alongside, juxtaposition, which kind of sounds like a judo move. I'm going to juxtaposition you. It's a comparison. And, And I think the parables are kind of like a ruler. We set it out, and we're supposed to kind of examine our life and where are we at? You know, up until this point in the story, so we're, we're going to be in Matthew 13 today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it open to Matthew 13. But at this point in the story, Jesus kind of arrived, and he's been pretty explicit. And he, he sits on the mountainside, and he gives a sermon and a bunch of teachings. And then he goes out, and he heals, and it's like very um, directly God's kingdom. And then he starts using these parables. He's like, I'm not going to spoon feed you anymore. Okay, I've given you the idea of the kingdom, and you keep coming back. And some people are coming back because they want a miracle. Some people are coming back because they want healing, or they want, th- th- maybe he's a good storyteller. But he's like, I'm going to give you these parables to set alongside your life and allow you to just consider or ponder where you're at. 
And that's, that's what we're going to be talking about today. One of my favorite parables, and in all of the synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is kind of the beginning of Jesus using parables. So one theologian says this is the parable about parables, the story about stories. And so that's where we're going to start today. Are you guys with me? Sound good? Um, so there's a, um, there's a organization called The Bible Project. They're a partner of ours, and they have so much content on just how to read the Bible, how to engage the Bible, how to make it come alive. And they have, uh, they have a, a video on the parables of Jesus and podcasts. And they're so good. They're so rich. And one of the things they talk about is to read the parables responsibly. We want to do that. We want to come to God's word responsibly and read them responsibly. To read the parables responsibly, one of the things you can do is to just consider who are the main characters in the parable. And what, you know, maybe is non-essential, let's not focus as much on those things. Let's focus on the essential pieces. So we're going to practice this today. Can we do that? So, in your journal, page six is the parable of the sower. It's also called the parable of the four soils. So page six in your journal. Matthew 13, verse one. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him. I think, you know, Jesus is contagious. People just want to flock to him. This is so cool. So he got into a boat. Now, some people say he actually got into the boat because he could amplify his voice, kind of like the microphone amplifies my voice today. He got kind of out off to the shore a little bit so that he could talk and amplify his voice for all the people that were coming and flocking to him as they stood there uh, on, the, on the mountainside. And he told them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. <laughs> I like that Jesus starts with that. What if I came up? Listen. Okay, I got something to tell you. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath. And the birds came and they ate them up. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he ends with this. I love this. Anyone with ears, you have ears? You should listen and understand. What? <laughs> what did we just read? If you can get your mindset in like, okay, Jesus came and he's talking like really direct. And then he shares a parable, a story like this. And you, I'm sure that I'd be sitting there just kind of like, what is he, what is he saying? It's kind of confusing until you just kind of sit and you just ponder it. Now, this is one parable that Jesus actually helps us out. He gives us some clues to what he's meaning, and we'll get into that in a second. But I think, that, you know, first, first things first, like, was it a good story? Yeah. It invites you in, like, oh, I can picture maybe this farmer and the seed and the characters of the story. And then I start pondering and like, wait, what are the elements that are part of the story that are, are 
are most important to the story itself. And the first one that came to mind for me was the seed. So the farmer scattered seed. The seed seems to be important. And I think what's interesting about seeds, I actually have some seeds in my pocket. Um, I just happen to have some seeds in my pocket. Yeah, and they're sunflower seeds because I'm from Kansas, and it's our state flower. So um, this is what I got you for Valentine's Day, honey. So some <laughs> seeds for flowers that you can plant yourself, and then next year you'll have some great sun, sunflowers. Um, actually, the seeds, what's interesting about seeds is they're so small and unassuming. And sunflower seeds are actually a little bit bigger, and, you know, you can kind of see the seed. But most seeds are just so small and vulnerable. And yet, inside of them, there's so much potential. And we see, like, Jesus says later on, hey, this mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds, but it produces one of the biggest plants in, in the garden. And, and in the same way, I, I think the seed, which is the message of the kingdom, Jesus tells us it's the message of the kingdom. It's so small and sometimes seemingly insignificant, but when it gets into fertile soil, it grows and produces a great big plant. And inside that seed is life. But first it has to die and for, in order for the life to spring forth. Do you have ears? 40 days leading up to a seed that was given that has to die to produce life. See, this is Jesus. He's, he gives these subtle messages Ponder that. Think about that. But the seed, it's also a gift that demands a response. So it's, it's, it's like he, the farmer scatters these seeds all over. And the message of the kingdom, Jesus comes and he brings a message. And I thought of it like this. Um, I got a gift one time, and I, I love it. I bring it with me almost everywhere when we go up north. It's called a parachute hammock. Does anybody have a parachute hammock? You know what that is? It's like a hammock you put between two trees, and it's so small and compact, and uh, you can put it anywhere, and you can actually sleep there. Some people put, you know, rain guards over the top of it, or mosquito nets, or, and they'll sleep kind of suspended in the air. But the thing about a parachute hammock that I actually, I, I can't stand, is once you get it out of the bag, you can never get it back in. <laughs> It's like, ah, oh, just throw it in the car. Let's just go home. I can't get it back into the small little bag that it, I got it with. And so this, this parachute hammock expands, and that's kind of like the message of the kingdom. It's small, but like it, it expands, and you can't ever go back. Jesus arrived on the scene, and in a way, we have to recognize that we have to respond to the message of Jesus. It's like sending that email. It's like, send, oh no. You know, that message was sent. But it was in a good way. It was like, you know, it's like a grenade, a good grenade dropped in the middle. It's just filled with love and grace and generosity and the, the message of the kingdom. But like, you can't just let a grenade sit there. You have to do something. If you don't do anything, what's going to happen? Right? In the message of the kingdom, it comes, and we have to respond to this message, this, this gift from, from God. And that I, I, I mentioned this, but I think it's also important to note that, that the message is also the medium. Jesus brings the message of the kingdom, but he also is the message of the kingdom. And so what does that mean for us? That 
the gift of Jesus, we're going to have to respond. What do we think about Jesus? And later, just a few chapters later, he asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? We have to wrestle with that. We have to ponder that. And this is the perfect time. Lent is the perfect time for us to say, who, who do I say that Jesus is? Is he, is he the Lord of my life? Or is he just, maybe he's a lunatic? <laughs> maybe he's a liar? This is all just made up? No matter what we believe about Jesus, we're going to have to consider the message of Jesus. So that's the seed. That's the first one. And then the next thing that came to mind in this parable, this story, is the four soils. Four different soils are, are explained to us. And the first one is the soil on the footpath. Now, I, I'm a trail runner. I love running on the trails. So that's what I imagine. And there are no plants that can grow on the footpath. It just, you know, like either you'll run and they'll get stomped out or birds or animals will come. And Jesus actually, actually says that. He says um, the seed on, on the footpath is like the birds came, the enemy came and took the seed away. When I was thinking about the, the footpath, Jesus seems to have his harshest critique for those people who are hearing but not really listening. They came, they flocked to Jesus for whatever reason they came to Jesus and they heard his words, they heard the message, but they didn't really listen. That's also the harshest critique my wife has for me. <laughs> you're always hearing, but you're never listening. I bring that upon myself because my mind is always spinning and I'm always distracted about other things that I have to do. And I think that this is kind of describing the condition of the heart that is just distracted. There's too much else going on. But I also feel like this, this footpath is also kind of the people, and, and it's all of us, I think, that sometimes are noncommittal. It's like Valentine's Day is a perfect time to remind yourself, like, oh, if you're married, like, why do I wear a ring? I don't wear a ring and say, hey, I love you. And I want all the benefits of marriage, but I'm actually going to keep looking for another lover. Right? This non-committal attitude that sometimes we bring to faith. And I think that that's kind of the footpath is like, you know, hey, you're, you're sitting on this footpath and the birds will come. And if you're not committed, if you're not really listening, if you're not really pondering and taking the time to consider the words of Jesus the enemy may come and just take it away. And I've seen that so many times. People are just kind of, they, they're just continue to seek. Like I'm holding out for something better. Like Jesus is pretty good, but I'm gonna kind of hold out for something better. Maybe there's another truth out here somewhere that can be, and that's, there are a lot of people, and maybe some of us in this room that are kind of holding out for something better, a better story. And the enemy may come and, and take that away. But I also feel like the footpath symbolizes, for me, these old and tired patterns of life. These patterns in my life that continue to lead me to being distracted. The enemy coming and leading me toward a path of destruction, right? So, and that sounds heavy, and, and the, you know, that sounds really heavy destruction, but in some ways, you know, you start here, but over time, these old worn-out paths get so far and far and far and far and far away 
from where we know we should be. So that's a footpath. And then, and then Jesus says, some feet fell among the rocks. And uh, in Matthew 13, 20, which isn't in, in your journal, but Jesus says this, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last very long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted. It's people that are enthusiastic at first. And I think all of us started 2020 pretty enthusiastic. Hey, New Year, it's going to be great. And then the storms and the fires and the, you know, like, hail and the, you know, just all of the stuff happened. And, and the sad reality is that I've known some people this year that have drifted away from the Father. Sad reality is that in different times, different seasons this year, I've kind of drifted away from the Father. But he consistently calls us back, calls us back. These rocks, the, it's, it's like there's no room for the root system to grow for the plant. The seed goes in, it starts to grow, but it's like, hey, no, there's, there's no room for me. There's no room. And, and here are some of the big rocks that I think um, we, we have in life. Bitterness, anger, fear, busyness. I mean, oh, that one hurts a little bit because sometimes I'm so busy in my life that I'm, there's no margin left for Christ. Selfishness. I have my own kingdom. I don't have room for another kingdom. I don't have room for the message of God's kingdom to come in. And, and so in so many ways, it's hard to grow when bitterness and anger and fear are already taking occupancy in your heart. And have you ever like dug into the ground and you find like a big rock and you're like, oh, that'll be easy. And then you start digging and it's like, it won't come out. It won't come out. And you're like, oh my gosh. And that's caliche, right? <laughs> you're like, oh, we live in the desert and there are big rocks that just are so set in stone that you can't budge them. Even you get out a shovel, you try to budge, try to move them and they won't. And sometimes I feel like we're holding on to the rocks. And Jesus is like, let go, let go of the rock, let go. Let me take that out and fill it with goodness. I want the message, I want the seed to be able to grow. And then there's the thorns. The seed falling among the thorns, Jesus says, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. What's interesting about this seed is it actually does begin to grow. The, the, the roots start to go down, and, this, and the plant starts to come up. But over time, you realize there's something else below the surface that's actually competing with the growth of the plant. Something else is coming, and over time, it's going to choke out the life of the plant. I really believe that thorns will eventually stop the momentum of growth in our life. 
if we let, let them just stay beneath the surface. And I'm, I'm guilty of this one too. We, we at times have these things that we feel like I can manage that and we compartmentalize. I have this life over here and this life over here and then, you know, as long as this one's good and, and this one's good, but then we start to realize, oh my gosh, these are starting to leak into each other's worlds and, and at some point it's just going to choke out the life that God wants for us. Here's some of the, the thorns that I think Thorns that have been existent in my life, worries and anxiety, selfish ambition. Like ambition is good, but like at some point, my ambition gets to be bigger than the ambition that God has for me. The division and quarreling, like these are almost things that culture accepts and says, yeah, that's just part of life. You know, it's just part of living. And for a while you can manage them, but eventually the thorn, the spike will start to, to prick you. Lust. I can manage it for a while. And then when these things get full-blown, they're really ugly. Just like the weeds. And it chokes out the life of the plant. They're in com- competition with God and his word. And then we have the good soil. Jesus said, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. The message translation says it produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. I love that. You know, a couple chapters earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about the person who builds his house on the sand, and storms come, and the house falls down, versus the person who builds his house on the rock, and it's a firm foundation. And that's what I think about the good soil. The roots go down deep, and it pro- provides a good foundation that no matter the sun, or the storms, or the hail, like it's good soil. It's rooted there. N.T. Wright, a famous uh, pastor, and theologian, and author, he talks about the difference between Christmas tree and a fruit tree. I think Matt has even mentioned this before, but I think it's, it's great. You know, just a couple months ago, we were driving around admiring all the lights on trees, and I love trees, and, and we, we take a tree and we put it in our house, and it's my favorite thing over the holidays. Every morning, I wake up and I see the tree, and before we go to bed, we turn off the lights, you know, and it's just this beautiful reminder of, of the Christmas season. But what's interesting is we, we kill the tree, or we get fake ones, which we always get fake ones because I don't like putting lights on trees. That's just not my thing. Pre-lit is the way to go, in my opinion. I know I just divided the room. Half of you are like, no way. Half of you are like, yeah, I'm with you. And, uh, but we cut down these trees, and we put them in our house, and we decorate them with ornaments and lights, and we make them beautiful. But there's no life inside. And then we'll be driving down the, the street, and we'll see, or in our backyard, a, f- a fruit tree. And it looks pretty ordinary and plain until we realize that there's life growing inside of it. And season after season after season after season, it produces fruit. And, and that fruit, I mean, we, we get to enjoy it, we get to eat it, whatever kind of fruit it is, an orange or citrus or lemon, but the fruit tree, there's life inside of it. 
But it also, a fruit tree, it takes time. It takes pruning. You have to trim off some branches. And you have to pick the fruit in order for more fruit to grow. And Jesus says, that's, that's, that's me. I want you to abide in the vine. And my father, he's going to prune even the good things so that more can come. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. For no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, Jesus says. It takes time. I think so often in life, I just want the quickest, easiest. I want to put all the ornaments and lights. I want to make it beautiful. And sometimes we run after the beautiful, the quick, easy, glamorous thing in life. When really what Jesus is saying, hey, see this over here? There's life inside of it. And it's growing. And it produces a harvest. And Jesus even gives us a range. You know, hey, some 30, some 60, some 100 times. There's a range in which, you know, not all of us are called to the same calling, the same way, but all of us are called to have the life of the vine inside of us, growing and producing the fruit. We don't do it. We just simply abide in the vine. And over time, the seed begins to grow. I think this is another point that's interesting about fruit trees, is when are they the healthiest? When do you see them at their best? In a grove. In community. There was actually some research that came out recently. I just think it's fascinating. Um, it's called the Wood Wide Web. You guys heard of this? Anybody? Wood Wide Web. It sounds like you're Elmer Fudd, but wood wide web. They have discovered that below the surface, in the soil, trees are actually communicating to one another. And that if one tree starts to falter, its resources start to drift away, that the other trees will all pitch in and provide resources to keep that tree alive. And when a tree is about to die and it realizes it's about to die, do you know what it does? It flushes all of its good, rich nutrients back into the soil to help the other trees. It's fascinating. They call it the wood-wide web. And I think we need that kind of webbing in our life. That when I begin to falter, when I begin to see the thorns and the rocks, when I'm experiencing the well-worn path, that keeps leading me down the same habit again and again and again. We need a community. We need a grove to come and pool its resources to help us. There is beauty in giving up the life we thought we wanted for the life we know we need and we really need. And Paul says this to the church in Corinth, playing off, I believe, the metaphor of, of, of the vine and the seed and also the house. He says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. He's talking to a community. Let your roots grow down and encourage and support and be there for one another. Build your life on him. This is what our calling is as the church, to be together, the good soil. And when we notice one another kind of in a, a different heart posture, the rocks and the thorns, like to come alongside one another and say, hey, I'm going to help produce 
in your life some good soil to be there for you. And then the last, the last character, which has become my favorite, is the generous farmer. And this is a flip the script type of moment. Because you would expect a farmer, and then he would be talking to an agrarian society. They knew how to plant seeds. And you plow, and you know exactly where you're putting the seeds. You want the most effectiveness when you plant seeds. I'm not going to plant seeds in soil that I know is bad. But not this farmer. Not this sower. He begins to scatter the seeds everywhere. Because I, I believe this. Jesus is so generous and extravagant with his love. He wants to give everybody an opportunity to hear and really listen and understand. No matter where you find yourself today, maybe there's a big rock. Maybe there's a path that keeps leading you, keeps you distracted from Christ. Maybe there's a thorn. And, and I've had all of these soils in my heart. But Easter, this is the time, Lent, this is the time for us to consider what is the condition of my heart? Because Jesus has been extravagant with his love. All he asks for us, he, receive the gift. Respond to the gift. Allow it to grow deep inside of you. Build deep roots with community of people. Jump into a group with other people where you can ask some of these questions. What are the old and tired patterns in my life that need to change? What are the weeds that continue to choke out the kingdom in my life? What are the rocks that are preventing the word from growing deep inside of me? Because I think that we have an opportunity as we get toward Lent, to use um, some resources and some tools. But, but first, John Wesley, a famous pastor, theologian, starter of the movement, that actually helped, is the beginning of, of our church in, in many ways, he would start these small group meetings that he would have with a group of people. And this is really the movement, the momentum behind the movement. He would meet with these, these small groups of people. And he would ask them. And we have small groups, by the way, so you should do this. But he met with these small groups of people, and he would say, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul today? And maybe, you know, our family sits around the dinner table, and we'll ask each other, you know, highs and lows. What's been something good today? What's something that's been a challenge? And, and uh, invite you, you know, if you're sitting around the table with friends or family over the next several weeks to ask, you know, how is it with your heart? How is it with your soul? Especially over the season as we lead to Easter, it's, it's a unique time in the calendar for us to ask this question, how is it with your soul? Jesus says that the man who built his house on the rock is like the man who hears the words, hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice one who really listens is the one who puts them into practice. And so I think there are some unique 
practices that we can do in Lent and the journal. So we have at the beginning, page four, there's some um, tips for you just for this Lent, some ideas for you. And again, this journal is not, does not automatically connect you with God. It's just a tool. It's just a resource. So use it only as a resource. There's some group questions in here that you can ask as a family or with a group of people. Ask them to go through the journal with you uh, as well as some daily devotions. But here's, here's a few, few ideas for Lent. And, and don't do all of these. Like, seriously, don't do all of them, but just do one. And here's what I have found. I tried to cut something out and add something in. Cut something out and add something in. But here's just a few ideas. Use the journal. Invite your friends to do that. Commit to a version Bible reading plan. Also invite your friends. <laughs> you know? Hey, do this plan with me. Or maybe just do a paper Bible, right? So that, there's nothing wrong with paper Bibles too, but just do a Bible reading plan. Set an alarm on your phone as a reminder to pray. Just a few weeks ago, we talk, talked about pause, rejoice, ask, yield. Set a reminder on your phone to remember to pray. Limit social media. This is a big one for me in our family. Limit Netflix in certain days or times. And just rest, you know? Just ponder and think and reflect. Find a way to serve and love others. Start by bringing diapers. <laughs> Bring some diapers. Find another way to serve. Add intentional time around the table with friends and family. One of the things we're going to try to do is limit fast food and sit around the table together as a family and just ask, how is it with your soul? This way? How is it with your heart? You know, And carve out a weekly time of Sabbath. Rest. We need some rest. And God reminds us that rest is good. So, um, Pick these one up on the way out if you haven't already and journey with us, journey with your friends. And um, as we close, I'm just going to pray. Father, may your face shine upon us in this season. We're just so grateful for the message of Jesus. And no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, we can hear and respond today. And that's the invitation today, God. So uh, for all of us that are here, may you just do a good work, a new thing in our lives over the next 47 days. And may you just fill our hearts, fill our minds with your presence, with your spirit. God, we thank you for the seed of your son, Jesus. And we thank you that he's willing to grow in the midst of all that we have going on. And Lord, we are so thankful for you being with us today. As we go, we remember your son Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. We'll see you right here again next week, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.